the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The grave of Jesus is empty. Then anything is possible for you. And I've got some good news. It is empty. He's alive. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's here right in this moment. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Father, in the name of Jesus, we gather here for the specific purpose of just focusing on you. So, Lord, I know in my life, it seems like there's always distractions, things that would take away my concentration or keep me from being committed to you. But, Lord, in this place, we ask you to just give us a chance to zero in for these next few minutes. Lord, we declare that you, Jesus, you're the one that is over disease. You, Jesus, you're the one that is over relational strife. Lord, you, Jesus, tell us that the governments of the world are on your shoulders. So we speak Jesus today. And Lord, even as I lift my hands, I pray that you would be praised by everything we do. Lord, as I hold open palms before you, I pray, Lord, fill me with your presence. Lord, what the Old Testament prophets would call a double anointing, what the old-timey preachers would call the unction of the Holy Spirit. God, just speak through me. Hide me behind that cross that we think of on Easter weekend. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart please you. And then, Lord, I tell you, I surrender. I just pray that you would give us a sense of surrender to your will in this moment. Let us know that yes, you are with us. Lord, I pray that today somebody's life would be changed forever because we met here today. And Lord, we thank you for this. Even as we say your name again, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated, church. Would you allow me just to greet you again as Christ followers have greeted one another for more than 2,000 years? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Philippians. This may be my favorite book in all of the Bible, so I think it's so special that we get to focus on this on Easter weekend. Philippians chapter 3 is where we will begin in just a moment. As we do that, I I want you to know that thanks to technology, not only in a big room like this, it's not really designed to be a worship center, we are all able to see, but we have people joining us in other countries, we have people joining us from hospital rooms, and we have two other campuses that are meeting right now. Would you welcome those that are worshiping with us that are not here in this 
physical location. Now, I want you to think about something that may challenge you a little bit. Imagine for a moment that you've just been told the grave of someone you love is empty. Kind of hard for us to imagine. A grave site can be a special and a solemn place. Most folks who hang out here know that uh, my hero, my daddy, he died during COVID. And so we had a uh, small graveside service. And then it was about six months later that after going through the process, we were able to get his, his grave plate. And I had a chance to go back and visit that grave even before they put sod or grass and you know, I know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. The Bible calls these bodies our earth tent. In, in other words, this is not who we are. You're not a body, you're a soul. Your, your body dies, your soul lasts forever. So I knew my dad's not beneath that grave plate, but still it's a special place. It's, it's been a little bit now, and, and so I've kind of thought, I'd like to go back and just spend a couple minutes there and just remember what he means to me. Can you imagine how the Marys, the Bible says there were two Marys, how they must have felt on that first Easter morning when they were going back to the place where Jesus was buried and he wasn't there. In that case, it was a gravestone that was rolled away. It's described in Matthew 28 and verse 5. An angel appears to them and says to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. That's the first time that those words were uttered. He has risen. Isn't that worth celebrating again, church? The angel was right. I've been to that grave. It's actually a tomb in the side of a mountain. If you visit today, it's one of the busiest bus stops in all the world. And in fact, the last time I was there in the garden tomb, they call it, you could hear the honking of horns. It, it, it was dirty outside. And then you walk into this solemn, serene, beautiful garden. There in the garden... You look over on the side of the mountain and you see a stone and an opening. So I, I've seen the tomb from the outside. I, I know what it looks like, but I didn't stop there. You can go inside. So I saw the, the tomb from the inside. And, and guess what? Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. He's alive, church. Jesus is alive. That angel was right. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. That, that's part of this gospel that we celebrate. That because of who we are, that God allowed his son to die a criminal's death. Let me spend just a minute there in case you've never understood that. We talked about this on Good Friday here in this same space. The, the fact that all of us are born sinners doesn't mean you have a bad family or doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're a sinner. Because sin is not just something we do. It's who we are. It's that nature that keeps us from 
following after God's commands and, and prevents us from doing some of those things he said we should do. The Bible says repeatedly, all of us like sheep have gone astray. It says in another place, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says the wages or the payment, the punishment of sin is death. So Jesus was crucified for our sin. By the way, some of you wondered, why do they call it Good Friday? That's why we call it Good Friday. I mean, just think about it. If, if you deserve punishment and somebody stepped in and took your punishment, how would that make you feel? Good, right? So Jesus died for our sins. And then Jesus was buried. After a humiliating death on the cross, Jesus' friends took his body and they placed it in a borrowed grave. And they thought that was the end, period. They thought everything he had been saying was coming to a close. All hope was lost. The promises Jesus had made, all the talk about him having a kingdom. Why? Well, because once you're dead, you're powerless, right? I already talked about that and even remembering my dad's life. That body can't do anything. Well, not Jesus. Because that's not the end of the story. That's what we celebrate on Easter weekend. God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Three days after his death, Jesus walked out of the grave shining like the sun. And dangling from his belt were the keys of death and the keys of hell. And he was declaring to the world from that moment on, God is alive. He is alive. So that's where we're different from any other world religion. We've gathered together today, and we're celebrating a living God. Just think about that. The God that we've sung about, the one we've prayed to, the one you're hearing about right now, he's not a distant deity. He's not dead. We can't visit a tomb that contains his body. He's alive. But most of you knew that part of the story. I understand that. And you expected on Easter weekend to come and, and hear me tell you that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. But what difference does that make? Why is that so important? And how does it help you and me in our daily lives? Because in a day or two, we're going to be back at work or at school, and we're going to be surrounded by friends or co-workers or family, and, and they don't all follow after Jesus. And, and maybe we're struggling with where he is in the midst of our broken world. Why does the resurrection matter? It's one simple thing I'm going to tell you over and over again today. If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible in your life. You believe that? If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible in your life. Now, you may know that the Bible teaches that. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 19, this is what Jesus says. It says, he looked at the people around him and said to them, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How many things? Yeah, see, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then Anything is possible. 
And then maybe you've seen this. I remember when Tim Tebow used to put this verse up under his uh, eyes and in, in the black. And it was Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The, the way I learned that as a child, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many things? All things. You see, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. But how does this work? How does it look? How do I live it out? That's what we're going to see in Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians is a letter to a specific group of people in the Bible. Most of your New Testament was written by men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but they were letters that were written to a specific group of people that apply also to our life. This particular one was written to a church in a city called Philippi. So if if he were writing to this specific group today, it would maybe be called Templeteriusians or Campanians or something like that. But it's called Philippians because it was written to the church in Philippi. And Paul's writing this about 30 years after he began to follow Jesus. So he's kind of mature in his faith, you would think. And he's writing this from jail. Now that's going to be significant. Because that's just a reminder that things don't always work out the way we wish they would. And so here's Paul, and he he starts this letter. I love this book. It's a book about joy, which is interesting since he's writing for jail, because you would think that would be a hard place to find joy. And and some of you come in today, and you look at the circumstances of your life, and you think, I don't have any joy. And this is just a reminder that joy doesn't come from what's going on around us. Happiness may. Happiness is tied to the happenings in our life. But joy is man, that comes internally from Jesus. And and so Paul would say things like this. And in the beginning of Philippians chapter one, he would say, I know, regardless of what you're going through, that God works all things together for your good. And he who finished, he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. At the end of Philippians one, he would say something like this. Don't don't worry about me because whether I live or whether I die, I'm with Jesus. For me to live is Christ, And for me to die, that's just more Jesus, more Christ. Then in in chapter 2, he he would say this. He said, hey, if you want to get an attitude, uh, just one of our first moments of confession. Anybody else ever struggle with their attitude? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but even on Easter morning when it's stressful, you're trying to get dressed to to come to church, if you're not careful, you can come in with an attitude. And so Paul said, if you can get an attitude, get this attitude, the attitude of Jesus. And he describes Jesus in chapter 2, and then he ends it by saying, who was obedient even to the point of death on the cross? But because of that, he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then he gets to chapter 3. In chapter (laughs) 3, it begins a little differently because in chapter 3, he starts out by saying, watch out for the dogs. He's not talking about the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm not real fond of them. He's not talking about like, who let the dogs out? Yeah, he's not talking about that. He's actually talking about religious people. People like he used to be. He's saying, watch out for those people that, that think that religion is everything or think that they've arrived because they're religious. 
man, that's just a reminder to me on Easter that I'm so glad you're here. But it, God's not focused on your religion. It doesn't matter whether you're Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, non-denominational, Church of Christ, or, or some of these offshoots that aren't even really following anything. It's not about the rituals you've been through. Some of you have been through confirmation and you went to church class and you've had first communion or maybe you grew up Baptist like I did and so you walked down an aisle or you raised a hand or you were dipped in water or, or you were dunked under or you were sprinkled. I don't know. It's not about those things. It's, it's more, Paul's saying. And in fact, he says, if it were about those things, man, then I'm top of the top. It's kind of a proud moment for him. He gives us his resume. He talks about all the things that he's done religiously. And then he says, but none of that matters. On Good Friday, we sang this song, and it kind of expresses his sentiment. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain, I count as loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Listen to how Paul says it. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Again, I grew up with the King James Bible, and in the King James Bible, it says I consider it dung. You know what dung is? We don't really use that word. So let me help you. I've got to be careful. We're in church. Poop. Do, do. You get the point or do I need to continue? He, he says, all of these things that I walked around proud of, strutting about, I thought I was somebody, I now consider that a pile of rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, theologians talk about this passage of Scripture and tell us that it really reminds us of the process of salvation. Did you know the Bible says salvation is somewhat of a process? We're, we're saved once and for all at a moment in time, but, but there is a process that's ongoing. I, I am saved, and, and then I'm being saved, and then one day I will be saved. Let me see if I can explain that. Um, verse 9 talks about when we are saved. And there is a moment. Jesus called it being born again. I like to think of it this way. All of us have birthdays, and pretty much everybody I've met knows their birthday. Even little children know their birthday. If I told you to say your birthday right now, you would tell me the date on which you were born. And Jesus said, when, when you begin to follow Christ, there's another birthday. You're, you're born spiritually. So that means it takes place in a moment in time, and you should have awareness of that moment in time. It's called justification. 
justification. We are justified. And Paul describes it this way. He, he says it, it's a gift from God. It's, it's God's grace. But you take advantage of that through faith. It's not by the things you do. It's not by anything you've earned. But you're trusting God in faith that he will justify you. What does that word mean? Some people have helped us understand by saying, just break that word down. Justified means just as if I'd. So it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd always obeyed. That's what it means to be justified. Remember, we've already learned that we were separated from God because we're sinners. But God doesn't want to say separated from us. So he gives us a gift that's demonstrated by the death of Jesus on the cross. It's fulfilled when Jesus raised from the dead. And when we look to what Jesus has done for us, he makes it just as if we've never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. He makes us righteous in his righteousness. That's a big deal. We're saved from the punishment of sin. But that wasn't the end. That's verse 9 and verse 10 He talks about how we're being sanctified. When when you were born, you were just a baby. You were a cute baby, every one of you. You were the cutest baby I've ever seen. You were cute, but you were just a baby. Nobody stays a baby. You grow up. Same thing spiritually. When you step across that faith line, just like these five who were baptized just a moment ago, they're demonstrating that their spiritual life has begun but they're supposed to grow, to be sanctified, to look more like Jesus. In our church, we've been studying through the book of Romans, and and we just finished Romans 12. And in Romans 12, Paul says, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice before God so that I can do what he wants me to do so that I'm not conformed to look like this world, but that I'm transformed to look like Jesus. Being sanctified means I should look more and more like Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything about God through Jesus. So when I'm sanctified, I'm saved from the power of sin. I, I begin to realize Sin doesn't have to control me. I I don't have to look like my old me. I I can look like Jesus. But the best part of it is verse 11, because Paul says in verse 11, yes, you're justified. Yes, you want to be sanctified. But one day you'll be glorified. And you know what it means to be glorified? That means you're seeing Jesus face to face. That means you're experiencing the glory of heaven. You're with God forever. Your forever life has begun. Not only do you not deal with the punishment of sin. Not only do you not deal with the power of sin, but in heaven, we don't have the presence of sin. Aren't you grateful for the hope of heaven on Easter weekend? But I want to focus on that verse 10. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his suffering. Wow. Man, for me, I, I think I might would have liked it better if they'd have edited that part out. I mean, if it just said, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus, period. But he didn't. He said, and, and I want to know the participation of his sufferings, and I want to be like him in his death. But he begins with saying, I want to know Christ. And, and here on this day, I, I want to say something to you. You, you need to know Christ. You need to know God 
through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of other good things you can know. Man, I'm, I'm looking out at people from all over the world, and you've been educated on different continents, and, and some of you are doctors and nurses and attorneys and engineers and, and teachers. And man, we've got all kind of trades represented. It's great that you know your area of academic excellence. It's, it's great that you know your skill, your trade like nobody else. It's great that you know a lot of people because we need to know people. But the most important thing that you can know in your life is to know God through the person of Jesus Christ. You need to know him. Paul uses a word here that describes a personal and intimate knowledge, not simply a factual or intellectual knowledge. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. I have a lot of education. I took courses that I didn't really even like. And unfortunately, I remember some of the things from some of those. I know facts about historical figures, many of which are dead, but I didn't know them. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.